it's easy to look at, at the list and feel like it's a heavy lift, but it's not when you realize each little thing is just a small, sometimes just the smallest shift creates the biggest change and you get to use it to improve your own quality of life through the relationships you have in work and also outside of work. What is up, People First Leaders? Welcome back to the Leading People First podcast. My name is Chris Lynn, and I am really stoked for today's guest. Our guest today is a certified life coach, world traveler, former lawyer, host of the New Manager podcast, and is helping kind, ambitious people become better managers. Welcome to the Leading People First podcast, Kim Nickel. How are you doing? Thank you, Chris. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's really good to have you. Uh, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. We will get into that in just a moment. But I did want to start off with some words of praise from a mutual connection of ours, Chrissy Roth Francis, (laughs) who said, Kim is a calming, practical, and no-nonsense voice in any conversation. She has the ability to cut through any point without awkwardness or defensiveness, allowing any client, teammate, or friend to benefit by her wisdom and love. So I'm really excited <laughs> to be able to jump into all of that and see you know, what, you've, what you've done in your career and how you really are focused on leading people first. Yeah. Oh, and that's so fun that you know Chrissy. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. You know, I I've had a few different interesting career twists and experiences. And I just I remember when I started learning about learning and development and coaching and from my own experience being a manager and not really receiving a lot of guidance when I was making that transition, Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, there should be something more for folks at that stage of their career journey, you know, and just also seeing how much attention and resources were going to the very highest levels of leadership and thinking, no, but we need it like right, like even before you get the title of the manager, like you start managing people. So anyway, that's, yeah, it's it's part of what um, I love about the work and looking forward to the chat. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive in. You know, we, you and I, I think we agree that self-awareness is a foundational skill for leaders and just for us in general as human beings. I talk about it a lot. I've heard you talk about it several times. You know, going back to your days of teaching yoga, where you taught about rewriting your personal narrative, you've also talked about the narratives that we tell ourselves based on the perspectives we have about ourselves. Mm-hmm. I would love to know what is the latest self-discovery that you found out about yourself? I think the latest self-discovery for me is um, I think just being aware of how many things I really feel angry and sad about and learning how to not let that totally derail or sink me, learning how to really work with that in a way that feels um, honoring and nurturing and useful and you know, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where there was not a lot of great modeling around what to do when you feel angry. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of just like, you know, just like, don't be, don't be angry. Like find all these other things. Yeah. And so I think for me, you know, part of, part of what's been 
my recent journey is the awareness of, yeah, I'm a human. Sometimes I feel really angry or really sad. <laughs> and like, what do I want to do with that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these emotions. Yeah. A lot of these emotions are so overpowering too. Right. And mm -hmm. it's so hard to think straight in those moments. And especially in times of uncertainty of political turmoil, right? There's so many things to very quickly kind of get triggered by whether, you know, regardless of what end of like the political spectrum you may sit regardless of your own viewpoints and framing on, on corporate interactions and leadership and all of that. It's just so easy to kind of get triggered by something because you may not know, right? Like mm -hmm. you may not necessarily know all of the things that have been building up that may have ended up triggering you. So that's really, it's great to hear that that's something that even someone as accomplished as you like is still like trying to go through and, and figure out so that's great. Um, yeah. So what does it mean to you then to lead people first? I think of it as being human oriented. So both remembering that you are human. That means you have emotions. That means you have perspective. That means you have a physical body. And some days it feels awesome. And some days it might not. Just really anchoring in who are you as a human first. And the more that you understand, and I think appreciate and can work with your own humanness. And then remember, everyone that you work with are also humans. So they also have their own emotions, their own physical bodies, their own energies, their own, you know, like there are ways that we have our own experiences of things. And so when we think about that, I feel like it, in a, in a way, it kind of simplifies things and it really humanizes things because we're always making decisions from our human self, right? Like, what, what do I need? What's right for me? Realizing the people that I manage and work with might answer that question really differently. And then how is, you know, how do we as humans, how do we work together? How do we, you know, it's like, as long as we're going to work together, let's make it good. How do we do that? And so yeah. I find that it's just a very helpful lens to come back to, coming back to the human part. The human centeredness in, in work is something that I think we're seeing this new wave come through, right? Because I think, no, I think, I believe, strongly believe that many of us see that the old way of leadership of command and control is outdated and doesn't serve everyone. It serves a very small group of people, right? And so we're seeing this need from current generations and younger generations saying, hey, this is not okay. We need to find a better way of, of leading. Yet, when I have these conversations with organizational leaders, it seems very woo-woo. And normally, I would, you know, I would love to get your perspective. I would usually ask, like, well, how do you combat that? How do you, um, how do you convince those people who are against this human-centered focus and say, you know, no, they need to leave distract, you know, there's things at the door, their emotions, or, you know, what happens outside of work, you know, shouldn't affect how they show up at work. And I ask that question a lot. So I'll, but because you coach so many different leaders, I'll, I'll rephrase it or reframe it a little bit. So how do you, how would you support or recommend a leader who is human centered, who does lead people first in an organization 
to work within that construct that is not a culture of human centeredness? Yeah, that's such a good question because I think that for me, it really is very individual. So a lot of the work I do now is people kind of step out of the organization to either work with me one-on-one -on -one or to do one of my programs. And so we're able to have a conversation around the challenges that they're facing, the questions that they're asking, and their own desire for what they want to do in their career and in their life. We're able to have that conversation out a little bit outside of the context of being immersed in their work and immersed in their work culture. So what's, I mean, in a way, what's kind of nice for me and the work I do is I very rarely, I might even say never, I never really have the conversation of, oh, we need to convince people of it as being valuable. It's more like the people who find value in it come to me in order to, to have that, to do that work. And then they bring it and activate it in the way that they choose to within their team, whether their team is one person or whether their team is like 101 people. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, you know, I think for one thing, there's a lot about leadership that is entirely arbitrary, which means people just get to decide, <laughs> right? Right. Which is why, you know, you have a very wide range of leadership styles and you know what, they all work to some extent, right? But you get to choose. So I, for me, I'm really interested in the conversation and the work with the people who are very interested for themselves and what does it mean to be a very human-centered leader and how does it what does it look like to be human-centered in my career and profession and then in the decisions that I make that affect my team, my colleagues, my manager, our community, our customer because it all ripples out, which I also yeah. think is pretty cool. That influence, that indirect influence based on what people observe is something very powerful as well, right? That that you're mm -hmm. saying, that ripple effect. Now, I'm going to take this, I'm going to use a political example, but this question, next question is not meant to be political. So I want to give, <laughs> give that quick caveat. So something that I, I don't know if you, this has been your experience growing up, but my experience growing up was like, we don't talk about politics and people who have different views in the family just don't talk about it and they don't come to any sort of understanding. Do you think that by not trying to convince organizational leaders that having a human-centered approach is actually more beneficial in the long run is going to create a stronger, a, a wider divide between human-centered leadership and profit-first leadership? No, I don't. I see them both as kind of th like things that are currently in play, currently in motion, and so for me, I'm really interested in amplifying and nurturing and kind of increasing the robustness of that which is already there. Like I sometimes think to, I love garden metaphors. I've got a lot of plants in my home. <laughs> and I just love this idea of, you know, if, if you've got this garden, there are all these different kinds of plants growing. You get to choose where you want to, like what you want to nurture, Right. And so part of what I've seen, actually, that's been really amazing. Um, and actually, I can kind of maybe phrase it as this analogy. Have you ever had the experience where one person can really like sink the morale of a team? Yeah. <laughs> like, you've got a team, you've got like one person and they just have a yeah. terrible attitude or they're just very untrustworthy. And it really disrupts the entire thing. 
Well, the inverse is true also. You can have one person and that one person is the person that everyone's like, oh, thank goodness Chris is here. Oh, I feel so much better. Like, we're going to be okay. Chris is here. He's like, that is the the way that that we are as people. We're so able to influence things in both like the positive and the negative. And what's been really cool for me is seeing how some of my clients work in industries or in organizations that might be described as very like cutthroat and very kind of um, like combative kind of environments. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen through working with them is that when they choose, again, they have the discretion, the autonomy, and it's entirely their choice how they choose to lead because they find it valuable. It ripples out and then it becomes kind of the evidence that either other people are like, oh, that's actually a really good way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could try that. Like, what are they doing over there that they're being so effective and so productive? How come the yeah. clients all want to work with that person? Yeah. Right. And so it, it starts to have that kind of very organic effect, which I think is better I mean, at least, you know, for me as a, as, a, as a person of one who's doing this work in the world, I find that is the most compelling way to influence and change things because everyone then around that person also starts to notice and starts to think differently and starts to be like, oh, there might be something for us to learn from this person, Yeah, which I think is more compelling than anything I could just, you know, say, right? Yeah. I love this idea of organic human-centered leadership. And I, I had never thought of it in that sense where that ripple effect really allows other people to be attracted to those individual leaders. I mean, I I know a lot of, you know, stories about leaders who are like visionaries or, you know, they're like really strong leaders in, in certain facets and people are drawn to that. But I'd never place that from a people first like mm -hmm. leadership stance so i think that's that's fascinating um so with your podcast you have over a hundred episodes at this point where you talk about so many different topics a which i couldn't even get through all i was like listening to them <laughs> on like 2x and i was still just like oh my gosh there's so much so and and i know that there's some some stuff that we want to cover here one quick question that I wanted to ask you about the sheer amount of topics and skills that we, well, you cover in your podcast, but that we also kind of require or need leaders to be able to have, right? Not saying all 100 topics are like necessary skills, but they are some skills that, you know, they can kind of pull from here and there. How how do we implement that into the workplace to build those skills when there's just such a huge amount of them? Yeah. Like, what do I mean, you see? So they're so in a sense, they're all they're all connected. So anyone you choose will will start you towards, you know, the the lot of them. I think about it as in a few different ways. One is communication. <laughs> if only if all if all you focused on was how can I become a better communicator? How can I become more effective in communicating? That would create so much 
change. And that itself could be a thousand episodes just on all these different nuances and situations. But, you know, how we communicate, how we make decisions, um, are we thinking strategically or reactively? What is the self-awareness that I have about, you know, how do I manage myself first Mm -hmm. before then seeking to manage others? They're, They're all so interrelated. And the thing too is that you know, everything that you learn for the skills you need in leadership, especially around self-awareness and communication, you then will use in other relationships in your life. So it's not just in the realm of work that you benefit, it becomes elsewhere. So just as one example, I was teaching a workshop on difficult conversations And one of the people there realized, oh, I have this difficult conversation I've been avoiding with my roommate. And so she's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to nap it out and then approach my my roommate in this way. And then she's like, I had this incredibly great conversation and I was really scared, but it was good. And I feel like we just saved ourselves six months of increasing resentment (laughs) because nobody was talking about, you know, who was not, who was doing and not doing the dishes, Right. And it's like, that's the stuff. So, you know, it's easy to look at at the episode list and feel like it's a heavy lift, but it's not when you realize each little thing is just a small, sometimes just the smallest shift creates the biggest change and you get to use it to improve your own quality of life through the relationships you have in work and also outside of work. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And it's so true. The very few leaders I've coached personally have have had come come back to say like, oh, yes, like I've been able to actually apply this. Like, you know, uh, uh, the most common one that I've refer back to is I had a sales leader who I was coaching to ask better questions and coach their team to ask better questions. And that is about getting sales, right? That's about like, how do you get sales? But they ended up taking it home and started asking more questions whenever conflict arose at at home. Mm -hmm. And he said, we've been able to work through a lot more conflict at our house in a more healthy way because I've been able to, you know, I came from a place of curiosity and I knew what types of questions to ask. And, and that it's incredible that that skill could transfer that you wouldn't necessarily think you know, at the face of it, that it, but it did transfer and it's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so looking, going back to your podcast and, and what you focus on, I'll be honest, when I saw your podcast name, I was like the new manager podcast. I was like, Oh, the, like future manager, right? Like, as in like, what are the new managers of today needing <laughs> versus like yesterday? And that, that was the mindset I had, mm-hmm. but it's really focused. It is focused on, you know, those who are actually new to the position or new to management. Regardless, there's several things that I know that you are very passionate about in making sure that the new managers of today have these skills around confidence and communication and feeling more fulfilled in their lives. So can you talk about those and how how do they apply in their day-to-day work? Yeah, I love that in part because so when the so I have to give a little bit of backstory. So the reason I started the podcast is because back in 2017, I decided to teach a class called Essential Skills for New Managers. And I taught this in San Francisco. 
and people would come and sometimes people like I had this one guy and he's like, I've managed people for 10 years, but I've never, ever taken a class on it. And I'm just wondering, like, what, yeah. what am I missing? What am I not doing? And I love that because I thought, yeah, I, I totally get that. A lot of man, like learning to manage people is kind of sink or swim, just figure it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. But just wouldn't it be nice if we could get some fundamentals in your toolkit and equip mm -hmm. you early? Like, what if we did that sooner? And so as people were coming to that class and I was realizing, wow, people are coming because they want to be a manager and they want to get ahead of it. They want to think now about what they're going to need for then. Yeah. And I started the podcast because I wanted to have an audio resource for my students after class that they could just dip into anytime they needed a reminder or, you know, there are so many different kinds of situations. So that's where it really came from. And from realizing that whether you're a product manager, you might not have a direct report, you're not filling out performance reviews, mm -hmm. but you effectively have to manage a group of people to accomplish something, right? Or you might be the office manager and you have to do a lot of managing up of big personalities, you might be managing client relationships. So many of the principles around communication and decision-making and all of that is useful in all those contexts. And then the way it loops back into feeling more fulfilled is when you have a sense of, okay, I feel now like I know what I'm doing. I'm not staying up all night thinking about the conversation I need to have with this person and worried about what they're going to say and... Uh, like just that alone, if you just could sleep better at night because you felt more assured about what you were doing at work and how to have difficult conversations and how to manage up and how to manage your team, you would have so much more energy and time and satisfaction in the rest of your life. And it's been beautiful to see that. Yeah, It's been really cool too. And that's just a lot of the feedback I get from the podcast. Um, but the other thing I've noticed is that when we're not happy at work, we talk about it. <laughs> we talk about it to our partners, to our friends, to our colleagues. It takes up so much space in our mind and in our conversations. So when you feel yeah. better at work, you actually have a lot more time, energy, and room for other things that you care about in your life. It's so true. It, it just weighs so heavily on us. Mm -hmm. And now that you say that, I'm like, have I ever had a day where I like came home and was like, I had an amazing day at work. Let me tell you about my amazing day. No, it's like literally like I don't have to talk about work. I can just go into the next thing. And for me, that's my family. That's my kids. Um, and that's so beautiful. And that's such an un undervalued maybe um, way of looking at it of how we how important and critical leadership is and how it affects our wellness right and mm -hmm. i know that you're like you focus on like mental wellness as well and and how that emotional lift gets taken off so absolutely beautiful what are some of the other skills that you are seeing that you think hey leaders mm -hmm. really need to 
focus on this, you know, either for the future or this is an these are areas that just are not being invested in enough right now. Yeah. I think the one thing I like the thing that jumps out as I hear you ask that question is a lot of times I think people overlook the fact that managing people is a different job than the thing that they've been doing up until that point. So you might be an incredible designer, but managing designers is a different job. You might be really good at sales, but managing a sales team is a, is a different job. Yeah. And one of the hardest things is when you're really good at the thing that you do, like you're really good at sales, and now you're learning how to manage a team of salespeople, and you might suck at it at first. And you might not understand why is this so hard. And so for a, a lot of folks, when you're very high achievement driven and you're now doing a job that you're like, I actually haven't been quote unquote trained for this. I, ha I haven't thought about what it actually means to be in the manager role. A lot of what I see is just that uh, confidence gets really shaken and the expectation and the pressure is heavy because now it's not just you, but there's like a team of people depending on you and other. And, and also you get this perspective of what has happening up in upper management that maybe you had no idea about the conversations, the decisions, all of the things happening there. So it just becomes a very different kind of landscape to navigate. And I think that's something that is often overlooked. It's just assumed like go figure it out. But when you don't understand that what you're doing is something new that you haven't done before and you expect that you're supposed to just automatically know how, then I see either we go into like micromanaging because we try to overexert control on things or we go into people pleasing because we just want everyone to be happy because we think that's what success means. And we end up really, um, I think, just getting very tripped up over ourselves because we're not we're just, it's like, we're very disoriented in that moment. So I kind of feel like that's the thing that I would yeah. love for more people to be aware of and to, and to be planning for. I mean, there, it's not just confidence there as well, right? Like it, it leads to something that's very common is imposter syndrome. It leads to, um, like you said, a lot of other, other actions and behaviors that have negative consequences, right? Like you just mm -hmm. said, micromanaging um, or people pleasing as, as the two examples. And it's something that as we, as we look at the skills for leadership and organizations developing their managers, do you think then that we should introduce, introduce leadership skills as a, as a learning program much earlier before people take on manager roles, right? Because again, as you said, someone might be a product manager might be in, is influencing up across down, but they don't have direct reports. Those are kind of like mm -hmm. some of those hard technical skills around tools that are actually pretty easy to learn. Yeah. So are we overlooking those transferable skills and do we need to, invest in programs earlier? And if so, how do we do that? Awesome question. I think the short answer is yes. There's definitely like the skills, especially specifically around communication. I feel like poor communication is the most expensive thing 
It wastes time. It wastes money. It breaks trust. Like everything is harder when you do not have skillful communication. Now, the tricky thing is that there's not just an out-of-the-box solution that will quote-unquote fix it because communication is a highly human, very dynamic relational skill, and it is like a skill for life. So yes, I think everyone in every organization benefits from it. The way I love to see it happen is when organizations offer learning and development budget to their people and when there's room for people to choose a learning path that works for them. I mean, ideally, like in a perfect world, I would say have both have an or, you know, have your own internal organization of like, this is a, you know, communication norms, or this is the way that we like to communicate here so that there's a measure of standardization or, or a commonality that we can communicate about how we do things and realize for different people, different roles, different personalities, people may have different needs for how they want to learn different Mm -hmm. communication skills. And rather than, you know, tasking the manager with trying to track that breach of their people, I love this idea of helping to empower people to think for themselves around how would you like to develop your professional skills this quarter, this half, this year? And, you know, here's a budget and you can use it in a few different ways. And here are some, you know, vendors or here are some, some options for how to do that. Because I think you'll get more of what is needed to the people when they need it. But in order for that to happen, there has to be like partly like a cultural awareness of the organization that this is something we do. This is something we value. um, This is something like your colleagues do. You see your manager being out, hey, I'm going to be out for a training today, right? Like make that part of a normal thing that people do and value that. Because once you also develop that skill, that is a skill that you will use like throughout. I will say the one hard thing, especially around communication skills, as valuable as they are, is that in organizations, we're always looking to measure the impact, mm-hmm. measure the effect. And it is really hard to measure in a systematic way what is the effect. We see the negative effect. We see people quitting. We see people like complaining. Um, I once had a a student who's like, we have a spreadsheet of all the people that have quit from this one manager who everyone knows is bad, but won't go away. Like we see that. But what's so neat is that individuals identify how the communication skills are helping them, but it's really hard to put that into a spreadsheet. Yeah. So how would you measure that then because yeah, again so like you said you. like yeah you know, sorry because I, I was just going to point out right like th- those effects those negative effects mm-hmm. end up are actually like more macro right so how do you yeah. identify those more micro things and again you're you're you come from teaching and, and l and d mm-hmm. and talent development and as do i so i'm just curious to hear yeah to hear so i have about. kind of the unfair luxury of now being an independent service provider which means that i get to talk about what is the measurable effect with each of my clients, like in each of my groups, so that each person is getting coaching around for them, what is the measure? What does it look like? 
For mm-hmm. someone, it's, oh, I was able to set a boundary with my family member. I learned how to do that at home, so now I can learn how to do this at work. With another person, it's, oh, I was able to advocate for myself and get promoted. For another person, right? So each person starts to measure it individually. Yeah. But when I was working internal L&D, that would not have worked. Like it would have been right. what NPS scores and performance review, like metrics things. Yeah. Because it, it's a different, like in a, in a sense, you're, you're trying to answer to different um, evaluators, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's, there actually is a real luxury and a spaciousness of learning that I think is genuinely good for learning when the learner is deciding this is what success looks like for me. And I can see how it's going to roll into my KPIs at work. Yeah. Right. But it's hard to translate that just from what I've seen in like a formal internalized as an institution, you know, you get a five out of, you know, five out of seven on your score. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I was going to say the the closest thing that I can think of to something that's measurable would be 360 feedback reviews. Right. But those take a long time and you end up, well, they may not necessarily take a long time if you purposely focus on like one skill. Uh, however, you do tend to ask a lot of people. It takes a lot of time to process it. And right. So um, yeah. it does become a bit more burdensome for sure. Yeah. And it's also tricky, right? Because for someone, their growth might be, I'm now able to speak up on behalf of my team. I'm able to advocate for them more. The 360 might be, this person is really, you know, asking a lot now. They're, they're, they really keep asking for all these things. So <laughs> it, the perception, right, is very subjective. So the question of, of kind of what you're measuring and how, I mean, it's definitely an art. I think every organization decides how they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Well, uh, I've loved, absolutely loved this conversation. Um, and I'm so glad that you and I got to connect and I got to learn from you. Um, honestly, doing like looking up all of your posts and listening to as many podcasts <laughs> as I can and watching your videos. I was like, oh my gosh, like Kim is really this amazing person. And, and Chrissy mm-hmm. absolutely like backed that up for sure. Um, as she shared. So what is, ultimately at the end of the day, what is the impact you want to leave on people that you're leading or that you're coaching and consulting? I want to nurture the humanness in people. I want people who are kind, who are ambitious to feel like they are leaders, that they are effective, that they actually can um, work with other humans in a way that feels good to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And also is effective in getting like accomplishing things. I feel like they're often pitted as separate, like you're one or the other. Um, I had a client once. She's like, people think I'm kind because I have to be. I'm kind because I like to be. And this idea of being a leader requires, I don't know. I think we get some interesting ideas around that. So, yeah, I I just want to nurture the humanness, the kindness, the compassion. And I want to see that those qualities at the leadership table at every level. That's beautiful. Love it. So as final question, as we wrap, what should people do next? Those who are listening, those who are watching, what, what do you want them to do next? 
I want them to go to my podcast, go to the, the new manager podcast. It's on all the platforms and the episodes are short. They're most of them are like 20 minutes or less, but go through and see, you know, choose one that you're like, Ooh, I can use that this week. That's what I would want. And I will, again, I will personally say I loved each and every single one of them. I learned something from each one because it's not just like a knowledge transfer that you provide, but it's almost like for me, they felt like mini coaching sessions as well. And I was like, man, like you kind of gained some more insight into who I am and why I think this way based on this topic. Um, So love it. Absolutely love it. And so glad that you could come on. And uh, yeah, I hope we can stay in touch and keep talking. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat. And it is that time where I start saying goodbye and thank you for tuning in to this conversation on the Leading People First podcast. I truly do hope that you enjoyed it and found some value in it. If you did like this episode, please click that subscribe or follow button. And if you really found value in, you know, what we talked about today, make sure you're sharing it with a fellow People First leader and let them know what you thought. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you thought or loved about this episode on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.